1: Welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast. It's brought to you by coordination.com, hosted on jitterymonkey.com and part of the Jittery Monkey family of podcasts. My name is Greg Mahochko, and joining me once again uh, live from his studio apartment. No, I can't use that because that's what Colt Cabana says on his wrestling podcast. Live from his uh, domicile. Homestead. Homestead, there we go. Yeah, that's that's much more of a Nebraska... Uh, yeah. You know, w- phrase anyway. Uh, Hoss Reuter joining me uh, once again, or, or uh, back? I, I can't say joining me anymore. I mean, you've pretty well cemented your place as the as the co-host. So you're not really joining me. You're just here. <laughs> I don't know if that makes us sound hey, any better or not. <laughs> happy to be here. Um. Oh man. Let Let's just dive right into it. Uh, and and for full um transparency. For the listeners, usually we record at the end of the week and it's a mad scramble to uh, get everything done. I'm usually up till midnight or later uh, the, the night before this. Uh, pub, publishes because after we record Haas, I do the post-production. I add in, uh, you know, the uh, the intro, the outro. I, I put it all together. I upload it onto the mainframe, which I just, that's just a fun thing, you know, uploading to the mainframe. It's like uploading to the matrix. Um, you know, then I, the hardest part for me, the most time consuming part of it all is not even recording or doing that. It's, it's typing up, making sure I have 150 words. Uh, because that's what uh, Brian always used to tell me. Make sure it has 150 words. That way it gets picked up on Google or something like that. Um, So that's what always takes the bulk of the time. But that's usually done on Thursday night if we publish on Friday or Friday night if we publish on Saturday. But here it is Sunday night. Uh, We're just over 24 hours removed from Nebraska going to Minnesota and leaving with their tails tucked between their legs and I don't mean that in a in a frightful sense but man they just got uh, when you looked at the schedule you thought man it, you had so much optimism coming into the season there were you know, you know I believe uh, uh Mike uh somebody you know in in coronation said he had scenarios running the gamut from four and eight to ten and two uh and as the season went on, you know we ran up against Wisconsin and we lost by 21. We hosted Ohio State and we got whooped. Ye- Ohio State still a top 10 team. We lost 56 to 14. You don't expect that kind of a margin of defeat going on the road at Minnesota, but here we go, 54-21 was the final score, and dare I say, it wasn't even that close. Uh, you know, they went out, not even the first play from scrimmage, they took the opening kickoff relatively untouched and set the tone from from those first 12 or so seconds.
0: Yeah, from the start on that opening kickoff by Rodney Smith, running it back, from the start, you just got the sense of what kind of day it was going to be, and to our credit, I, we we responded pretty well, you know, initially after that kickoff return, but then when we got to the point of that fourth and one uh, inside the red zone that we couldn't pick up on a, I think we rent power or a lead there. I, I haven't gone back and rewatched it yet because I've been busy, but I'm pretty sure it was one of those two plays. And the right side of the O-line didn't get any movement in Wilbon's, uh, Wilbon's stuffed in his tracks. And from there it's just the dam broke you know and uh, or they were just to put it into Minnesota terms they were rowing their boat.
1: Let's talk briefly about that or maybe we don't have to talk as briefly but row the boat is the the motto uh, the mantra if you will that PJ Fleck brought with him from directional Michigan. I don't even remember which one. It done even. I think it was Eastern, but it might have been Western. It might have been Central. I don't know. Yeah, I don't it,
0: care. It was Western.
1: Um, <laughs> but he brought that to Minnesota. They were, you know, two teams that entered with, I, I believe, identical records uh, last night or yesterday. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it, we're both four and five. Yeah, but close, uh, to say the least. And Fleck is. You know obviously much younger than Mike Riley by almost 30 years but there was just a completely different demeanor and I don't i don't get me wrong I'm not expecting Mike Riley to run up and down the sidelines but wow uh Fleck brings some energy I I was not prepared for it uh, maybe I didn't follow him closely enough or follow Minnesota you know this season closely enough I was not prepared for that but uh, the cameras uh, for Fox certainly loved showing him. Uh, and, you know, it, it reminded me of you know they, they showed him every time he was excited, as much as they showed Bo Pelini every time he was being Bo Pelini. You know, and, and throwing a hat or yelling or getting into the face and, and you know those cameras they, they loved their the fiery coaches, uh, but they also showed plenty of Mike Riley just being you know calm weather the storm, Mike Riley, but, uh, and and we'll talk about this, I know, you know, in a few moments, that storm is is about to to capsize the boat, if you will.
0: Yeah, um, I, yesterday, directly after the game, and talking about, I, just in full disclosure, I can't stand PJ Fleck, just (laughs) irritates me, you know.
1: Um, That's fine.
0: The energy energy was cool, but, you know, I mean, because, It's infectious, but, I mean, now maybe I have more of an attitude towards Fox just showing it over and over again while I'm in a pretty sour mood from the game. But that game yesterday, you know, just contrasting the energy of Minnesota and just the, uh, I guess, flat affect of Nebraska. um, When's the last time that coming into a game with an evenly matched team you know an evenly matched record you know you're both in the same spot when's the last time that nebraska jumped on somebody like that and just didn't let up you know actually had a you know a killer instinct and it, it just kind of you know you never want to be talking about well we're four and five they're four and five why aren't we playing better than that four and five team? Right. four and five team but when things are evenly matched nebraska you know Going back however many years, has not been able to uh, play a game like Minnesota did. I mean, the last one that I'm thinking of might be the Taylor Martinez Kansas State game on Thursday night in 2010, where he just jumped on somebody, you know, and didn't let up. So yeah, the I th- and I think that there's a uh, there's a culture, uh, energy, you know, related component of. PJ Flex attitude, you know that brought that game to to what it was.
1: It's it's, I don't know, funny, ironic, uh, fitting, if you will, that you brought up that 2010 K State game because that was very reminiscent. Rule reversed, we were like the K State. I can't believe those words just came out of my mouth. But if you well, look at, I mean. Look at how they beat us. Uh, they had a mobile quarterback who used that, uh, you know, option, you know, that zone read, damn mm-hmm. well, you know, you know, damn near to perfection. I mean, they, what they were able to accomplish offensively is very similar to what Team Magic was able to do, you know, back in in the Big Twelve against Kansas State, and it's. So does that mean, God? Here we go. Are we the K State? You know the 2017 K State of the Big Ten. Uh, it, that's what it feels like.
0: You know I, and the the, the caveat to that, and we basically are right at, the, at this. You know, in the context of this discussion, in that 2010 game, but like, if someone were to say based on our on field play this year, hey, you're a lot like K State. You know, in you know how they're playing now. Be like, well, you know, it's a well coached football team. You know, I'll take that as a compliment. Right. But Um, instead, it's when, no, you're not, you don't play football like K State, you are K State. You know, it's like, oh, God, that sucks.
1: It's, I, I was, this is a thought that I had uh, yesterday, so much so to the point that, that I, you know, messaged you about it. I said, this is a point that I really want to make. We're not a good football team in 2017. Uh, I've been looking at the schedule and, Honestly, week one should have been, you know, the telltale sign, winning mm-hmm. by a score, and giving up thirty six points and all those yards to Arkansas State, losing at home to Northern Illinois. You only beat Rutgers by ten. Uh, Illinois is, you know, trash. So I, even though I was at that game and, and thought we played well. I think we could have played better and won by more than 22. Then you have Wisconsin, Ohio State. We all know, and that's been you know much discussed. Uh, the win at Purdue uh, by a point with 14 seconds when you when you had to have your starting quarterback essentially score you know make two scoring drives in the last five minutes of the game, uh, losing at home to Northwestern in, in overtime, and then getting you know shelled on the road at Minnesota. This is going to be a crazy theory, Haas, and, and tell me if you agree, disagree, or otherwise. I think that the best football we've played in 2017 was the second half at Oregon, 21 unanswered points. Uh, and Oregon, I don't, I don't think Oregon took their foot off the gas. You know, I don't think that they were, you know, doing anything different in the second half than they were doing the first half. But for some reason, hey, we outscored them 21 nothing. We almost made it a game or we made it a game, and we almost made it real interesting there at the end. A few things go different in the first half of that game. You know, this might be a completely different season. If you go on the road and you win 35-31 or something like that at Oregon coming, you know, back from from a big halftime deficit, maybe that kind of uh, momentum or confidence carries you over and you don't get embarrassed at home by Northern Illinois. Um, All of a sudden, you could be... 5-0 Five and zero going into Wisconsin instead of three and two. I I don't know. It just that was to me the the peak of Nebraska football in twenty seventeen. The second half at Oregon.
0: I agree. I mean the defense, you know, slowed down Oregon in that second half, held them scoreless. The offense uh, played a lot cleaner than they did in the first half. Um, up until that interception there at the end, you know, I mean, we finally clawed all the way back in it. But, yeah, I mean, that was honestly right up to the point that Trey Bryant got injured in the third quarter of that Oregon game, which all of a sudden that seems like it was 10 years ago. Um, that was the last time I had some, like, real confidence in Nebraska, you know, in Nebraska this season. Because after that, it was the Northern Illinois game, Rutgers, you know, Illinois. I remember in the first half of the Wisconsin game, you know, being in the stadium for that one. And even though, you know, it was, what were we down? 17-10 at halftime? 17-7? Can't quite recall. Um, It never felt like we were really in it, you know? And I just didn't have the confidence that we could generate enough consistent drives, you know, consistent plays of four yards or more to really get it done. And, you know, So I agree that Oregon game, the second half was probably the height of Nebraska's on field play this season.
1: And if you look at Oregon and you compare them to, you know, obviously there was only one game left in the non-conference schedule being Northern Illinois. Um, I will say this, I, the big 10 to me seems up this year, Uh, you know, again, versus years previous last few years, it seems like it just been Ohio state and Wisconsin. And of course, uh, yeah, And Penn State, obviously, who, who won the conference last year. But uh, I, I don't know. It seems like overall the Big Ten is playing better. You know, you've got uh, Michigan State doing well. Iowa, that's unpredictable, which I hate saying that about Iowa because I want to know that they suck week in and week out. And unfortunately, exactly. unfortunately, they're not, you know, we have two games left. It seems like this football season, as all football seasons do, has gone by incredibly fast. We have mm-hmm. two games left, and we're sitting at four and six right now, and we have to win both to really be both eligible. And if you've, you obviously got to go to Happy Valley this coming week and then finish things out the Friday after Thanksgiving at home against Iowa, we've talked about that game. I initially said, you know, a few weeks ago, I was like, yeah, we could go four and one easily, you know. Penn State might be a challenge, but, you know, at the time it was Purdue, Northwestern, Minnesota, and Iowa that, you know, should have been for sure wins, and I I was wrong. I, I you know, I'm not, I've never had difficulty admitting I was wrong because, you know, I'm a guy, I'm a married guy, so I know I'm wrong, you know, quite often. Um, but the, the, that Iowa game all of a sudden carries a lot more weight with me because... I don't want 2017 to be reminiscent or worse than 2015, but I have a feeling that's where it's going.
0: Yeah, I'm, I have that same feeling. Um, that Penn, the Penn State game is going to be—you uh, might want to slap the NSFW tag on the uh, <laughs> guide information on Direct TV for the Nebraska Penn State one. And we've talked about just just beat Iowa, yeah. you know. At all else, just just win, baby, you know. But uh, to bring it back to bring it back to your point, this is you know after the Purdue game. Even though I pretty much thought the, you know the year was foobar at that point, um, I thought I didn't think we would lose to Northwestern, Minnesota. I mean, that never even crossed my mind. I was thinking we'd go two and two, and we'd. Take, you know, Northwestern and Minnesota at the very least. And, uh, but man, you know, this this is a depth, you know, a lot worse than 15, even though the records could, you know, have, be similar. Because in 15, at least it was competitive. You know, you had all those losses in the last second, sure. you know, and, you know, it sucked going six and seven, but I had some confidence, you know.
1: In 15. 15- because of, the, of all those close games and, and how you know if the ball would have just bounced this way, you know uh, 15 like you said 15 was more competitive it didn't feel so depressing. It, they weren't you know obviously we beat Minnesota but it didn't feel like 33 point losses to anybody. Um, you know we were we were right there in the mix of it and like I said you know ball bounces a different way in a few of those games instead of being five and seven you're seven and five or eight and four. Uh, and you're sitting a lot better now. What I liked about that season, finishing the re- regular season five and seven, uh, because we are in Nebraska um, and the brand still means something to an extent. We got to go to a bowl game, and in the bowl game, we got to beat UCLA. So I was, I, I was tickled. I, I, there I am. I'm an old man. And I say the word like tickled, uh, but but got to go into the off season feeling a little bit better. It was also Mike Riley's first season, and now we're in Mike Riley's third season, and the record may be the same or worse, and the types of losses are much worse than they were two years ago. Um, you're not losing a close one to BYU, you're losing a close one to Northern Illinois, who's not quite on BYU's level. Um, you know, you're barely beating Arkansas State. Uh, you don't have the win over Oregon this time like you had a year ago. And then the Big Ten slate is, you know, it, it, tough every year. We just got to get used to it. I mean, it's it's the Big Ten. There are good teams in the Big Ten, and then there are the bad teams who still beat you by 33 points.
0: Yeah, the, and the latter, of which is really tough to uh, hear, even though we all witnessed it yesterday.
1: And And what is it about? Because it seems to me – and you're an X's and O's guy, so I, I, I'm very confident asking you this question. Be it 4 3 or 3 4, Nebraska never seems to have much success against a mobile quarterback. And what really hurt in the game against Minnesota was, man, on, on some of those option keepers, we collapsed. You know, the defense collapsed so hard on the running back, and all of a sudden there's 20. Yards in front of their QB, and, and you know he showed off some good wheels, some good athleticism, and uh, and made Nebraska pay. And and mm. it, it was, like I said, it was very reminiscent of the Taylor Martinez days, except turned around because now we're the victims of it. My only question is, I wonder if their quarterback likes playing against away games. Yeah, I
0: wonder if he's uh, if he makes cell phone apps in his spare time too. Maybe.
1: I don't know. I'm not. I'm not trying to shit on the kid. You know, he he went out there and had a battle, and uh, uh, you know, I guess I, I I guess I can tip my cap to the victor because that's what we're supposed to do, right? I mean, it, that's um, it's right there in the Husker prayer. If we should lose, we'd stand by the road and cheer as the winners go by. I don't. I don't want to celebrate. I want. What everybody else wants, and that's success. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was more to that thought, but then it just trailed away. and I don't know where it goes. So take over, please. I'm I'm talking into a circle here.
0: <laughs> well, I was just gonna say yesterday, a lot of the just a lot of the issues that we had uh, were not talent related. Uh, defensively, our alignment and our assignments for defending uh, Minnesota with their formation pre-snap and the assignment that gets into you know the basically where you need to be you know as the play's going on in post-snap to be in good positions to defend the offense there's no hard edge against the zone read um you know we had players who were you know they're reading the end down the line of scrimmage and he'd come down Marcus Newby for instance would come down you know the line of scrimmage and take Rodney Smith you know as the assignment playing assignment football against the option you know necessitates but then we're depending on a pass first player in coverage antonio reed at safety filling the alley to take the quarterback and by that point you know reed's taking a reed step you know to look for pass or run he's hesitated enough that you know dimitri croft is already in the open field and he's got a head of steam and we saw that on a uh it was, it was off the right side. I want to say it was on a, uh, like a third and one or fourth and one that Minnesota had gone for. And you're just, Bob Diaco is not putting guys into positions to succeed. And we give up underneath throws, you know, on little short slants and hitches because we give too much cushion. And then, you know, we finally start trying to play some man coverage against Minnesota after, you know, we played mostly a lot of zone this year at times. And no one's open, or once Croft saw that our defenders turned their backs in man coverage, they don't have their eyes on the quarterback anymore, he takes off and brings it on down inside the five-yard line. And so a lot of that, I mean, Minnesota played a really good game. There's no question about that. Anytime they roll up half a hundred, you know, someone rolls up half a hundred on you, they played pretty damn well. But our issues from the standpoint of we did not put – our guys into positions to succeed and that you have to adjust football is not a static game it's dynamic it's constantly changing it's punch counter punch you know what they're doing what you're going to do to take away what they're trying to do and we just don't do anything really well we, you know coaching staff is not putting the players into position to succeed as i've covered already Players aren't able to execute their assignment, you know, because they're in the, they're not in the correct position, and the talent dichotomy that we've discussed on here before is one where, yeah, while we might not have you know a fully stocked cupboard of roster talent, there's enough roster talent there to not get a fifty burger hung on you by PJ Fleck and the uh, the Gophers.
1: It- <clears throat> I, I don't know you know is, is in regards to the talent um, obviously we're banged up but at the middle of November every team is a little bit banged up like, I don't know any team especially in you know a conference like the big Ten that's getting to this point of the season unscathed um, I, if Nebraska is you know bringing in I, I guess what I'm trying to say and, and I'm and I'm I'm hesitating. I, I, I'm, I'm. We're supposed to be going scorched earth. Like this is the time. We we tried going scorched earth last week, and it didn't work because we waited too long, and our our uh, you know our our heat levels cooled, or what I don't know. Uh, but we're yeah. damn it, we're less than forty eight hours from the end of that game, and we're supposed to go scorched earth. I'm still trying to tiptoe about this, but where the hell is the development? Because if we're bringing in, you know, the the stars. Uh, you, you know, not maybe not the you know on, at the same level that the Ohio States are bringing in or Michigan's. You know, as far as recruiting classes, but certainly in the Big Ten West, uh, you know, we have you know out recruited. I believe everybody. Now I'm Brian was always the big recruit recruiting guru. Uh, he he would know his stuff, and he's probably yelling at me, telling me to shut up because I don't know anything about recruiting, um, and that's fine. Uh, but if we have, you know we're getting four and five stars and a team a program like Wisconsin is getting three stars and doing much more with them. So obviously it's not about the personnel, it's about development. Mm-hmm. And, and that's gonna have to fall on the coaches, which is, you know brings me to, I guess what I'm, I'm about to say is it's been speculated for some time. Uh, we've been talking about it in the, uh, uh, Coronation Slack chat room, but Mike Riley's got two games left for Nebraska. I mean, period. There, there's no, there's no 2018 for Mike Riley.
0: No, uh, under no circumstances is there a 2018, uh, Nebraska team coached by Mike Riley at this point. Uh, whether people believe it's fair or not, for three years to be the uh, be a suitable amount of time to you know turn over a roster and cultivate a new culture and pour a foundation of your program, you lose by thirty-three on the road to Minnesota. There's no absolving that loss, none whatsoever.
1: Okay, and so go le- ahead. Let me let me throw. <laughs> Because this is what I do, I throw hypotheticals, and I'm very much the devil's advocate uh, in this regard. Let's say, you know, the line opened up for the Penn State game, and Nebraska's, I believe, 24-point underdogs. I anticipate that as the week goes, that line's going to grow, uh, you know, and the spread's going to get bigger. But let's say something crazy happens, and Nebraska goes into Happy Valley and stuns the Nittany Lions. Is that? I mean, that doesn't buy Riley any more time, does it? I mean, that, that that'd be an impressive feat, but that's not, you know, that that's going to be more like a, um, you know, a, a dropping a pebble into the ocean. That that's not going to have that big of a ripple effect. That that's going to save Mike Riley's job in Lincoln.
0: No, uh, it's not a consistent, you know, body of work like closing out the season. You know, four and one or five and zero oh would have been. With you know winning in Happy Valley would be, I mean, just freaking awesome. You know, but it's not enough to save Riley's job because a lot of the issues that we've discussed—the lack of development—being you know chief among them at this point. Those those don't go away with just one win at Penn State or one win against Iowa or even finishing the season two and zero if that were by some just random stroke of luck, were to happen. Um, the the precedent has been set with Riley, and it's just a, it's a matter of when, not if at this point.
1: Do you think... It, it, we need to bring this up as well, because the rumors started churning this morning that uh, uh, Riley was dismissed, but it was just that, it was just a rumor... I never saw any uh, anything official, um, and I've been kind of monitoring and trying to follow the situation as I could today. Uh, but it seems like our new athletic director Bill Moose is pretty well uh, sticking to his guns in that he's not going to uh, relieve any coaches of their duties mid-season. Um, I'm fine with that uh, from the standpoint of. You know, if Mike Riley would have been announced as being dismissed this morning, you got – essentially you got Langsdorf or Diaco. Uh, Langsdorf because he's been around I, – I, I guess the question would be who's been around the program the most. Um, obviously not Diaco. And, and based on what we've kind of seen from Diaco the last 10 days or so, I'm not sure that I want him as an interim head coach. Um I don't know. It, it, everything, everything about the, the past eleven months of Nebraska football has just been very weird. Um, nothing's felt particularly right. Uh, but what what's what's your take on on the fact that hey, if if Moose was going to fire Riley mid se- or in the season, today would have been the day to do it. So, are you appreciative of the fact that he's? you know just letting Riley ride it out I mean two more games what I, I don't know what, what's your take
0: yeah I am appreciative that he's just letting him ride it out I think unless it's a case of where the the head coach has just developed such a toxic culture and players you know either just can't stand him you know or they're being mistreated uh, I don't think that you do midseason firings and, let, you know, like Tennessee firing Butch Jones this morning, they're thinking and it's going to give them a leg up on, you know, finally bagging the, uh, you know, the great white buffalo of coaching hires, John Gruden. And <laughs> I, I just think that, it, you know, at this point, let them, you know, the staff's conducted themselves professionally. They haven't had, you know, it just didn't work out, you know, for a multitude of reasons. Let him finish out the last two games of the season. I wouldn't be surprised if there was some kind of a, um, you know, maybe a meeting behind closed doors sure. today where Riley is told, yeah, at the end of the year, you know, you're fired, but you know, go out there, finish out the year, and you know, and thanks for your thanks for your time, you know, and effort that you put in the, with the Nebraska football program.
1: And and what I like about Riley is I think that he's mature enough to not, you know, come out and say, we well, can't fire me, I quit. Or, you know, come come out to the podium and say, uh, just so you guys know, I was just informed that, you know, I've got two games left with Nebraska, so, um, you know, my, I'm starting to pack my bags and worry about it. I, I think that that if something, if a, if a closed-door meeting like that did take place, I still have faith that, that Riley would conduct himself professionally uh, and would still go out and, and do his best for the team and the players and the university i I have that much faith in Mike Riley that he wouldn't just pack it in I I just don't get that vibe from the guy. I know you know we uh, I don't I don't know uh, he was a 500 coach coming in so maybe you know we shouldn't have had high hopes but I think he served his purpose in that because you know because it was nice guy Mike Riley. We were able to sort of, you know, smooth over the, the public face of the program from mean guy, Bo Polini. Does that make sense? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And he's a good, you know, Riley always had a reputation as a good recruiter as well. And I think, you know, Riley, whether, you know, the past, past three years notwithstanding the just not good football, uh, Mike Riley's going to leave this program in better shape. Then he found it. That's for damn sure. You know, he's rebuilt the culture. He's re- you know, and it's not toxic inside us against the world inside the program anymore. Uh, he's recruited well. Then, you know, there's some talent in the cupboards. And in a way, you know, just from the standpoint of building a program, uh, doing things, you know, the way they need to be done to get to the point to win games I, I wouldn't call him a failure in that sense, but the on-field coaching, um, that, that's ultimately, you know, where you just draw the line. I, I'm kind of trying to make a point here mm-hmm. about how I am kind. I feel like Bob Diaco talking myself into a circle. <laughs> but basically what I'm saying is, you know, if you look at the whole spectrum, am I saying the right word? Wow, I am Bob Diaco. If you look at the whole picture of the day-to-day operations and then the on-field product. He succeeded in the day-to-day
1: operations. Mm-hmm.
0: Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's a results business. He did not succeed in the on-field football aspect of it. And we're in a we're still going to be in a better place going forward than we would have been retaining Bill So in the end, I guess it's kind of a win in a really roundabout, weird way.
1: I feel like Mike Riley, and, and based on kind of what I've seen. You know, from from the sidelines and on on TV and whatnot, and, and reading reports, I feel like he would do very well as a front office man, a general manager, and and kind of you know do run the day to day operations, but less of the on the field product. Nice. Um, so I can't believe we we've gotten this far in the conversation. We didn't talk about it, but. Uh, the, the whole quarterback situation in that Minnesota game. Um, Tanner Lee, of course, started, uh, played the first half, and I thought played pretty well, had a touchdown, uh, was I think 13 of 17 and over 100 yards or, or something like that. Uh, my stats are not set in stone. They're best I can remember, so you know take that with a grain of salt, everybody. Uh, but it was P.O.B. who came out after halftime and Tanner wasn't even on the sideline. Do you do you remember all? All I remember seeing was that he was ill. Do you remember seeing any more information on on why Tanner didn't come back out in the second half?
0: Yeah, they said it was a uh, a hit-induced migraine. Like Riley said, it wasn't a uh, concussion, but is a. I, I was trying to think of the times that he got hit in the first half, but um, can't really pinpoint a specific one that looked like it'd be something that would you know induce you know migraine headache, but. You know, it was was interesting to see Patrick O'Brien and his first, you know, really extended action as a, you know, Husker. And I think that there's something, you know, he'd be a guy that could play in the uh, Scott Frost Oregon offense. You know, he's got a little bit of mobility and uh, just needs to keep, you know, getting getting more meaningful game reps. Sure.
1: Um, What I liked about it, speaking of, you know, a little bit of mobility, is at one point he just... Looked downfield, you know, did his check downs and said hell with it, uh, tucked the ball and ran. I think I think he got to the sticks, but uh, you know, got got a bulk of the yardage, maybe a first down. But uh, that's you know, Tanner's not really known for that. Uh, he has his strengths uh, as a quarterback, but you know, getting out and running the ball is not really one of them. Not to say that we haven't seen that from time to time, but I was I was encouraged by you know what I saw from Patrick O'Brien and and. Um, you know get, get, get the big fella an opportunity to you know see a little bit of playing time uh because he was fairly highly touted and and uh you know I think he was a quarterback that a lot of Husker fans really wanted to get behind um especially you know last year when when it was you know Tommy or Riker and and uh Tommy was hurt and Riker was pretty well hurt and but we didn't want to burn the red shirt of Patrick O'Brien, which I do understand. Um, but I was I was excited to see what he was able to bring. Like you said, in, in in more meaningful, you know, not just the last 35, 40 seconds of a of a blowout game, something like that. So I don't know. Um, could could be interesting in the off season because I I think uh, you know Tanner Lee is not you know putting up the NFL draft numbers that a lot of people thought he might put up in, in the uh, offseason. Uh, so, could be another interesting offseason, another interesting spring for the quarterback uh, uh, competition.
0: Yeah, I think that's something that especially with the new staff and we're getting, you know, there'll be new systems put into place on both sides of the ball. But one that's so opposite in contrast from Riley's, the you know, that Oregon spread-to-run attack It's going to be interesting to see if Frost goes with a guy like Tanner Lee because he has, you know, he's a good, great passer. I mean, the numbers don't bear out, but a lot of that, you know, there's a function of pass protection, receivers, not getting separation, just a multitude of things. But if it were to be a guy like Lee that Frost would have as the starter, it would be more of, you know, it wouldn't be zone read. It would be throwing RPOs off of the, you know, tailback running game to keep the safeties up high with O'Brien or Tristan Gebbia, they give you that opportunity to actually, you know, run a little bit more, you know, zone read, some inverted veers, some speed options, some quarterback draws. So I mean, it's something that like you mentioned, we're gonna have to really pay attention to in the spring.
1: Which is funny because we went eight years, it seems, with with a uh, preordained or or already crowned incumbent uh, you know all the years we had Taylor, and then all the years we had Tommy, and then you know two off seasons in a row. Essentially, we could have quarterback competition. And and based on and we got to go back several months, but based on what we saw in the spring game, and depending on how he was able to hit the weight room and and uh, the nutritionists and everything else, I wouldn't be surprised if Tristan Gebbia didn't have didn't make more of a name for himself this upcoming off season um, because he showed. A lot of things in the spring game. And of course, that's really the last time that we saw him, uh, rightfully so, because there's no need, you know, in, in this season, <laughs> there's no need to to bring him in. If, you know, God forbid, and I'm going to knock on wood, something happened to Tanner Lee and Patrick O'Brien in the next two games. Um, let's just run the Wildcat. I don't want to burn Gebby's red shirt. We'll just run things out of the Wildcat, and uh, Divino Zigbo and Mikhail Wilbon can, can run things. Uh, we just won't have a passing game. I don't know. I'm, I'm talking. Well, about run it. the
0: ball. Run the damn ball, guy would be pretty damn
1: pleased. Well, you know, I've always been a big fan of run the damn ball, guy, uh, and he's yeah. been a big fan of me. No, um, you, you gotta do. It. My concern will be, and and I think you you know put some of my fears to rest last week, but my concern would be for the second, I guess, regime, second coaching staff in in a row. Uh, You've got to wait a couple years to get your guys, you know, in quotes, your guys in place. Um, We had to wait, you know, for Riley to have any guys, really any tools in the toolbox to work with, um, you know, because Polini didn't like to recruit. Uh, And so my biggest concern will be the next coach will run a completely different scheme than, you know, game plan that what uh, Riley, Langsdorf, Diaco have Planned, and then we're gonna have to wait for those guys uh, to to get into the program and get up to speed. Um, I don't know. It's it's th- the next few months are gonna be uh, interesting. The next couple of weeks are going to be uh, real interesting. I think to see how everything plays out. Uh, and, and all right, so another peek behind the curtain, folks. We did plan on like the plan was all right. It's Sunday night we're, we're gonna get some of the conversation knocked out. We've actually. Honestly, Haas, I think we've talked a lot more tonight than we initially planned on it, uh, because we want to come back uh, in, you know, towards the end of the week, and you know, do another quick segment after, you know, see if there are any new developments. I do hope, uh, and, and hopefully, right after this, you're going to hear uh, a conversation that I'll have with somebody from Penn State's uh, SB Nation site. So, fingers crossed. I haven't made any contacts there yet, but I haven't tried. So, um, but Haas, it. As we look back, uh, with with shame and a little bit of disgust and disappointment, uh, on that Minnesota game, any any thoughts, any final thoughts that, that you have before we can kind of close that uh, sad chapter uh, of the season and, of our lives and move forward?
0: Well, Bo, Will, that wrinkle with Bo Wilson lining up at H back with a ta- with a pass eligible number was honestly probably the I hate to say it, but it was probably the highlight. my seat of this season you know seeing him come in and just lay out a, you know crushing block you know to pay plow the road for osig ball on that first touchdown run since september 29th and uh so yeah i mean that's that was the bright spot for me in that game
1: why why did we wait until you know november 11th to to use that (laughs) And, and how is it that it's been a month over a month since Devino Zygbo saw pay dirt. I mean, it, he was a guy who was getting you 100 yards plus every game for, you know, multiple games, and when you didn't have Trey Bryant, I mean, they, was it was it the games that the teams that we were playing against that, that we just didn't have any confidence in a rushing attack? Because Zygbo's, he's not a bad running back, and it's a shame that that was his first touchdown since September.
0: Yeah, uh, it's a little bit of uh, the good defenses that we played. Even though he rushed for what 110 yards against Wisconsin, and then Ohio State, we weren't able to get any you know any displacement off the line of scrimmage. And Purdue, you know, Jalen Robinson and Lorenzo Neal Jr. just ate our lunch. And Northwestern, you know, that was just you know I don't even know what to really say about the Northwestern. But he mustered about 80 yards and but he. You know, we just didn't run it consistently enough. You know, and then against Minnesota, you know, it's not there either. And again, it takes you till November 11th when you've been having issues for three or four weeks now with running the football. It takes you till November 11th to actually make some changes, put in a new wrinkle like Bo Wilson at H back to you know try to jumpstart the running game a little bit to manufacture you know the run. And instead, you know, we don't see it until game ten, you know, something like that. So it kind of illustrates again the the coaching, you know, aspect of things.
1: Definite uh, lack of urgency, it seems. But I feel like that uh, horse has been beaten to death uh, in in talking about this coaching staff. They, not that they don't care, not making that statement, but definitely get the feeling from them that they thought that they might be around a couple more years um, we believe the writing is on the wall and shortly after the Iowa game an announcement will be made uh, might even be from Riley at the podium he might you know I again I don't think that there's any reason to punish the man if, if he wants to you know say hey you know what I'm uh, uh, I've talked with the team Everybody knows, blah blah blah, and I'm going to be public here and say, "Going to ride off into the sunset and enjoy retirement." I've got no problem with that, none whatsoever. I think you know, if you're over 60 years old, you deserve to go out on your own.
0: Hmm. I have no problem with that either. And regardless, you know, the next two weeks, you know, two weeks from today, I envision that Mike Riley will no longer be the head football coach at the university of Nebraska, but I'm never going to, you know, have any vitriol vitriol for the guy. No. I mean, it, with Pelini, it's just such gross negligence and, you know, program mismanagement and just absolutely, you know, couldn't stand him. And so it was a little bit gleeful, you know, that, you know, we fired him and we we're moving on but with Mike Riley. It's really a damn man, you know, sorry, it didn't work out, you know, I'm not going to assess, you know, assassinate his character though on the way out.
1: And here's the thing if, if you could m- meld the two coaches get Bo's results with Mike Riley's personality we'd be one step closer to Indianapolis and two years away from a national you know for, from playing in the playoffs I think. I think that's if you could, if you could get Bo's records and Mike's personality and, and, and just, again, calmness, you know, may, maybe he's like a, a duck on the pond, you know, calm above the water while the, un, underneath the, the water the, the feet are going crazy, but he's not out there throwing his hat, he's not out there, you know, calling it, you know, being recorded, be it right or wrong that he was recorded, you know, without his knowledge, you know, in, in the journalism world we kind of frown upon that, um, but, you know, calling people the C word you know a yeah. C word and I'm not talking about the cancer like that HBO show or whatever it was on um, but uh, you know and, and, and driving that wedge between the team and the fans because at the end of the day the fans drive the program um, 90,000 people ain't, ain't coming to Memorial Stadium to watch the coaches on the sideline they want to watch and they want to support these young men and we talked about it last week these young men who chose Nebraska I think Patrick O'Brien uh, had some very uh, telling words, as he was the only player, by my understanding, to uh, uh, you know go to the podium and address the media after the game on Saturday. And he says, you know what, we're playing for the state of Nebraska. And he's not a Nebraska guy. That's the thing. You don't have to be from uh, Millard South or Bellevue or York or Hastings or Alliance or North Platte or Valentine. Or Sydney you don't have to be from Nebraska to play for Nebraska I think that gets lost a lot of times in in these uh, in this old blue hair sorry that's a big generalization but this blue hair mentality of well if if they're not from the 402 or the 308 or well, I don't even know if those are the right area codes they just don't care enough about Nebraska that's not the case as we mentioned mm. last week you know a lot of these guys are leaving their families and and leaving sunny weather and they're living in Lincoln where it's not always sunny kind of like Philadelphia wait no yeah. the opposite of Philadelphia you know what I'm saying they're, they they want to be here and god dang it they want to win um, this year's not the year that doesn't mean that they don't de- deserve our support I believe that with Mike Riley staying on and, and this is a side note to the other thought uh, but I believe that with Mike Riley staying on the uh, consecutive sellout streak would be in jeopardy. I do believe that. I think that really the only way to save that is to bring in Scott Frost because he's a Nebraska boy, and uh, people are going to be excited for it again. But I also think that there are enough companies and corporations out there to buy up those tickets anyway. So it's a it's a sellout on paper. That's a lot. Yeah, of, I, Hoss, that's a lot I of think... that's a lot of thoughts I'm throwing at you, buddy.
0: Yeah, I, let, me, let me parse through them for a minute. Yeah. Um, No, we brought up the point about, you know, the Nebraska kids' argument, Nebraska guys. And O'Brien's comments yesterday when I saw that, I thought, you know, that is, to me, kind of like what you say, you don't have to be from here. You know, obviously, if anyone thinks that, you know, in our recruiting practices, then they should resign themselves to a fate of going 4-8 and every year. But um, that, what he said, is what embodies being, you know – A Nebraska guy. It's kind of like that uh, Michigan man will coach Michigan, that whole thing. It's kind of the same thing. Like, you don't got to be from here, but you know, you got to understand, you know, exactly what it is, why it's so, uh, you know, it's a special thing that it requires more effort because we do have our inherent disadvantages here. You know, Lincoln, Nebraska, no one's going to confuse that with, you know, some of the places that we sign players from. But when they when they make comments about wanting to uh, you know wanting to really get this thing on track and trying to track down the comments right now on Twitter, um, I may not have retweeted that actually.
1: There was another one, um, and this was I think more in passing, not obviously the official statement after the game at the podium or anything. But but somebody said or or somebody caught Muhammad Barry uh, saying three important words we're not losers and and I say that that is important when I'm essentially filling time until you find the tweet you were looking for but remember that these are 18, 19, 20, 21 year old 23 year old kids, it's not like Ohio State where JT Barrett's 33 years old and is in his 19th year of eligibility mm-hmm. that, that math doesn't even add up anyway um, gotta remember these are kids, and and I don't, I don't believe that they, you know, this team has quit on their coach. I don't. I think, uh, you know, just as much a few years ago as is we would hear reports of, of guys wanting to run through a brick wall for Bo Pelini. Uh, I think that these guys want to win for their coach. I really do. It's not working out this year, and I feel bad about that. But hey, it, it, I'm I'm not going to call them losers. I'm not going to be down on a bunch of kids. Going out there and you know seemingly giving it their all, you know they they might not run all the way, you know, in, in chasing down a, a quarterback to the end zone when he's fifteen yards ahead of them. Some of them did, not all of them, but some of them did. Uh, but I'm not going to beat up on them too bad. They've had, you know, and I don't know, maybe maybe I'm defending them, you know, maybe I'm a Husker player apologist or something. Um, but I I thought that that was. I thought it was unfortunate that you know Mo Berry had to uh, make that comment because that seems like you know maybe he's been hearing things on Twitter. You know, people are maybe tweeting it at him and saying, "Oh, you know, you Huskers are a bunch of losers." Uh, Twenty years ago, you wouldn't have lost by thirty-three to Minnesota. Blah blah blah. Um, By the way, and and we can't stress it enough. coronation this is not a this is not a five heart podcast uh thought or theory this is not a big red cobcast thought or theory or coronation uh this is general common sense after the game if the game didn't go your way your team's way don't tweet at the players don't tweet thank you don't tweet your hate at them um you know tweet your hate at us we're five the number five heart podcast tweet your hate at us you tell us that we suck that's fine but these are you know young men and they're doing their best, man, and, and uh, uh, you know, after a game, after a win, if you, you know, want to say, hey, great job, or after a loss, if you want to say, hey, keep your head up, you know, we're pulling for you, that's that's what it means to be a Husker fan, that's why in the song it says, uh, in all kinds of weather, not talking about, you know, the climate, not talking about, you know, playing in Texas or playing in Minnesota, it's, it's this right now that we're going through. This uncertainty, this, uh, this ebb and flow season, uh, which is more, I don't know which one's the, the peak and valley. We'll, we'll use that. That's a, that's a m- metaphor that I can understand. This is a valley season. Uh, next year could be a peak season. A couple of years from now, it could be the peakest of peaks. We don't know, but don't take your frustrations because you're a fan of a team. Don't take it out on the players on that team. Uh, go do something constructive with your life. Go, you know, this time of year, go outside in the cold and put up your Christmas lights or something. I don't know. But if, if the game doesn't go your way, don't get on social media and complain at the players because that's not doing them any good. That's not doing you any good. And you're just an asshole.
0: I mean, it'd be better. I don't can. Cond- I mean, I've done this before, but I don't condone it as I get older and, you know, I'm a little bit wiser. I'm still not a finished product yet. <laughs> but, um, I mean, if you got to, you know, tweet at the coaches, you know. If you feel so inclined that you got to tweet your anger at someone following your team losing, tweet at the coaches. Don't do it, but at least they're paid professionals, you know, True. who know what they were getting themselves into when, you know, they got into that line of work. You know, they know that's a bit of an occupational hazard. Don't tweet at the players.
1: Or, or type the out. tweet out, type the tweet out, and then instead of hitting send – just delete it all. That way you can see your anger in black and white form. But what 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 good does it do? What good would it have done? Let's say Tanner Lee stayed in the game. Things didn't go his way through a couple of interceptions. What good would it have done to be like, Tanner Lee, you suck. Uh, my, you know, and I'm sure that would be the nicest, you know, of the things that, you know, somebody could say. Uh, it doesn't do you any good. Why? I don't understand. It, and, and here we go. Haas, I'm going to get damn near emotional um, for a minute. Uh, but, you know, Coronation, we, we had an ultimate loss this year. Um, mm-hmm. And so I look at this, in good or bad, I look at it as, damn, it's just a game. And there's so much more to life than football. Even Husker football, even in the great Corn Husker State, there's so much more, you know, if, if your entire mood for the weekend or the week or whatever depends on the outcome of a game you're not even playing, you need to look in the mirror because there's so much more going on in the world and that's something that you have absolutely no control over and I just... I don't want to spend that much time being negative. I'm not happy, you know, about the loss, obviously, but at the end of the day, I had no control over it. I wasn't even at the in the stands. I watched it on my TV, and it sucked watching the team lose because I know that they're better than that. But at the end of the day, you know what? I got to, you know, have dinner with my wife and my son, and I got to spend time today with my family and so there's so much more. Just, I, I can't put all my eggs in that basket anymore.
0: No, I mean, I, I, I know in my own life, before I got back into school a few years ago, um, football season, you know, I mean, it was living and dying, you know, with every game and it shaped my mood for the week. And then, as you get into, you know, doing something like, you know, commitment like, you know, going to school, you know, in addition to working, and trying to juggle a social life, um, it kind of brings you a new perspective where, yeah, you know, game doesn't go your way, you're pissed, you know, and you want it, you know, you think of ways that it could have gone better and what we need to do, you know, and you have those talking points. But at the end of the day, you're like, well, there's, you know, there's more to life, I got to, you know, I got to wake up tomorrow and I got to continue on with, you know, my own, you know, what I have control over. And that's not to imply that, you know, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, football is trivial. It is insignificant in the grand scheme of things. But as us, you know, Husker football fans and, you know, I'm just a uh, self, you know, self-avowed football guy and a, uh, a not a very well adjusted one at times at that. It's not a game for well-adjusted people. Um, you know, it just, I keep it in perspective. You know, it's, there are times where, you know, it does state, like, after a rough loss, like uh, last year's Wisconsin game, I was still bumming about that by Wednesday, you know, because that, that game was a kick to the shorts. Um, last year's Iowa game, I remember the next day after that was my 26th birthday, and, sitting there on my birthday just moping around the house because we got beat by Iowa. But no no part of that will ever entail tweeting at players. Right? You know, how the depths of my disappointment, you know, from Nebraska losing, it's not going to include that. I may not agree with, you know, some players' demeanors or, you know, the lack of, you know, uh, just lack of, uh, you know, effort put into their craft. But I'm not going to vocalize that to them on Twitter or in person. Just not something that's going to cross my mind.
1: That, uh, that. Th- the conversation kind of took a, 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 you know, more somber tone. It was was not really my intention. I, I I don't I don't say these things you know to make it seem like I don't care. I do care. It's why I you know it's why I watch. Is why I'm going to watch the Penn State game. Uh, while while I could be you know spending that three hours doing something more productive, I could. I do have Christmas lights to put up. Uh, I do have leaves to rake. Um, I do have a house to clean because I have you know guests coming Thanksgiving weekend. But I'm going to sit there and I'm going to watch that Penn State game. Uh, and because I'm a glutton for punishment, but because I care and because I want I want to watch and I want to see, I, I want to see. I think at the end of the season, I want to see that you know they have improved in some way we've seen it you know at times we've seen a lot of improvement from Tanner Lee uh really a lot of progress um but I want to see I just want you know for me win or lose there's something cathartic about sitting there and watching the Huskers um it it takes me back you know oh so many years ago when I used to sit and, and watch it with my friends in in Nebraska like sit at the bar or sit at sit at the house on pine street and in, in uh shattering and and watch it and and drink beers and then drink more beers that night uh because it was 2006 and we all know how that went um it, it, so it, there's something it, and 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 i i care because at, at the end you know i get to come in here and i get to to talk with you and, and you know before that i got to talk with brian and and so that that always is going to be something special to me um i can't i you know, because of of Husker football, I'm I, a part of coordination and, and all of the uh, great people there. And, and uh, you know, until they kick me out, I'm still going to, you know, come into the Slack chat room and I'm going to say random offhand things. Um, and sometimes they're going to be Husker related, but a lot of times there's going to be sarcasm and me being a bit of a smartass. But I'm going to watch the Huskers, and I'm going to cheer for the Huskers. And I don't care if they are if they were coming into this game this up, up, upcoming week at Penn State and they were 0-10. I'm still going to cheer for the Huskers, and I'm still going to expect and hope for the very best out of them uh, because it's there. They, they have the potential. We, we're going to see someday in our lifetime, we're going to see the return of – the glory days or, or we're going to see the new glory days in Husker football. I know what's going to happen. I can't wait for it, but to enjoy all those highs, we got to be here and we got to suffer through the lows as well. That's why the song says it, uh, we'll all stand together in all kinds of weather. We're going to get through this. It may, it's taking longer than we wanted, but we're going to get through this. And when Nebraska returns to the pinnacle of college football, it's going to be that much sweeter.
0: Amen. Amen. You, you summed up pretty much how, you know, I've felt about the rebuild of Nebraska football for the past, you know, well, depending on how you feel about 98 through 01, basically 20 years. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's like what, you know, I, I've had my criticisms of the program. You know, I was, you know, during the Bo Pelini era, I mean, I was just absolutely, you know, against, you know, Pelini being head coach. I thought he needed to go. You know, there there was a litany of things that pissed me off, you know. But every Saturday I still, you know, sat down with, you know, friends of mine, you know, watch games with my dad, cheer on Nebraska football, you know. And it's the journey of getting, you know, back to the pinnacle that's going to be, you know, pretty damn sweet and it's going to be like, you know, it's going to make it worth it. You know, I know it sounds trite, you know, but you know, it, it is, you got to savor the journey and even though it sucks.
1: And if, if nothing else, just to prove that when that day comes that, that Nebraska hosts the hoist, uh, the trophy again, we can say that we've been there the whole time that we didn't jump on the bandwagon at the very end. And that's something special too, because then you get to rub, Uh, the bandwagon jumpers noses in it be like you Mm. got here when you know when we were 11 and one and going you know into the conference championship we've been here all along jackass and and so you know obviously it makes us better fans than they are and so (laughs) so that's also why i do it but uh anyway haas i'm not gonna lie man this has been a killer show i'm not sure that we need any more Uh, for it, uh, Penn State or otherwise. We've gone over an hour and we've said an awful lot. What do you think if we just wrap it up right now, buddy? Sounds good to me. Let's do it then. Uh, This has been a a show all over the place. We started talking about a depressing 33-point loss at Minnesota. We talked about how uh, the likelihood of the weekend after Thanksgiving we're going to be announcing the, uh, and, and we hope, that it's Mike Riley announcing his retirement, but it could also be the announcing that he is no longer, his services are no longer required and we wish him the best in his future endeavors. Uh, We could also get a notice, you know, the following week that so-and-so has been named the new head coach of the Nebraska Cornhuskers. We've talked about that. We have talked about, yes, there is hope friends. We have talked about Nebraska ascending the mountain once again, reaching for that brass ring, and once again hoisting championship trophies. We've talked about that as well and how this journey is making us all better. And most importantly, we've talked about don't be assholes to players on Twitter. So with all that being said, we want to thank you for tuning in. Thank you for uh, spreading the love. Um, I looked at the downloads, Haas, on Friday from our last episode over 600 downloads in the first about 12 hours or so. Uh, I'll take it. That that's a that's a nice little bump, folks. It, this is a. a I'm going to steal a line from Stone Cold Steve Austin, and I promise this is not another you know wrestling tangent. As Haas and I have been going off on into wrestling tangents the last few weeks, um, but Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know the name, even if you're not a wrestling fan. He has a podcast. And he, you, he used to say at the very beginning of his show, hey, this is a grassroots uh, podcast. We appreciate you sp- uh, spreading the word because we don't have an advertising budget, blah, blah, blah. All I could think of as I would hear that was, dude, you're Stone Cold Steve Austin. You don't need an advertising budget. You know why? Because you're Stone Cold Steve Austin. Guys like me and my little you know corner of the podcast world at JitteryMonkey.com, we also don't have an advertising budget. But that's grassroots, and so I appreciate you hitting that share button so that your Husker fan uh, friends can also find this podcast. Uh, let's see. This has been a very impassioned episode. I think. Uh, let's see if we can get it over a thousand. Um, by the way, don't forget you can still have an opportunity to get a free box of Hello Fresh food delivered straight to. Uh, your doorstep all you got to do uh, leave a rate and review on itunes for the five heart podcast screenshot that and share it on the facebook page uh, facebook.com slash five Hard podcast uh, that's all the plugs i've got for this week hoss you got anything to plug
0: um nope nope i don't
1: any any we you know we talked about final words 15 minutes ago i, I think we've got them pretty well out haven't we
0: yeah, we've uh, we've fleshed everything out, you know that we need to talk about, and you know we talked about how it's going to be a not safe for work, you know, game <laughs> on uh, against Penn State, but uh,
1: it might be. It, it it
0: we'll still be there watching,
1: and the Huskers could surprise everybody. So You yeah, never that'd know, that would be
0: the most Nebraska thing ever in the past
1: 20 years. <laughs> Losing 33 points on the road at Minnesota just to turn it around and, and shock Penn State at Happy Valley. I'd take that. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of the Five Heart Podcast. As always, I've got to thank Haas Reuter for uh, joining me because uh, sometimes I just go off on a thought, and, and he's sitting there, and if this was a comic book, he'd have, like, question mark air you know thought bubbles all around his head like where the hell is he going with this Uh, so Haas as always man thanks to you buddy Uh, we are here every week and we'll be here every week reminding you that five heart is all the heart you need go big red
0: win the damn game this is a production of the Jittery Monkey podcast network for more jittery shenanigans go to jitterymonkey.com